Red Sox beat. Let's do this thing again. Josh Lewin with you. This is the week of June 9th-ish, 10th-ish, I guess. I, I mean, it might as well be April 103rd, as you guys know. We're going to talk to Dave O'Brien today, and really just to give us a sense of normalcy, best we can. Uh, the, the latest updates are coming in kind of left and right, recording this on a Monday, where there are all kinds of conversations now, finally, about what the actual 2020 season is going to look like in the middle of a pandemic. We're going to do our best with Obi to stay away from all that. Although I'll tell you right now, we're going to drift, I'm sure, because you know this is just on our mind. It's tough to not talk about the pandemic and everything else going on in the world. But uh, we're going to try to keep it Keep it real. Keep it 100 <laughs> in terms of uh, just talking some ball, talking some uh, uh, some broadcasting news and, and just the kind of thing that uh, Obi and I would normally be doing at this time of year, just kind of catching up with uh, what's what in our careers and our families and what's going on in the state of the game. If you don't know, uh, you know, Obi's got one of the most fascinating resumes out there, and he is a New England native. I'm sure you guys know that. Grew up in Marshfield. And Syracuse guy, which means he was made to do this, made to be a big-time broadcaster, and, and he has been. He started out in Atlanta with the Braves and doing games for University of Georgia and on to ESPN, where he just became a, a star. And we're going to talk about some of his ESPN partners. We're going to talk about his new work with the ACC Network. And it's weird to think that Obi's now coming up on close to 15 years with the Red Sox now, too. He joined in a very fortuitous year of 07, then with Kostig, of course. But uh, primary announcer, as you guys know, starting in, uh, well, technically 2016 uh, for the TV side. And uh, he's become a friend. I appreciate Dave O'Brien very much and uh, some great calls over the years. You guys don't need me to to recap them for you. But one thing I will tell you about before we get into this, and I wanted to do this before Obi came on the line, the, the, the copy point to, uh, to remind you about one of our great sponsors with Roman. Uh, and and yeah, it's not easy to get a guest to talk about erectile dysfunction. I wouldn't try to do that to a guest. So I'm going to be the guy that, that throws it out there about what happens when that happens and why Roman is important. It's, in, it's important to talk about this stuff with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, it's discreet, which I'm sure you appreciate. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation, ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor works with you to find the best treatment plan for you. And we invite you to complete the online visit today. What else you got going on? Uh, connect with a doctor and, and let's go. Let's get this thing taken care of here. Go to GetRoman.com socks to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping, which is nice. That's GetRoman.com slash Socks for the free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash Socks. Appreciate all of our sponsors, matter of fact. I don't want to short Bet Online either. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. Sports making their way back. The UFC, NASCAR, soccer leading the way. We're going to talk soccer with Dave O'Brien here in just a moment. Bet Online has all the best odds and lines for the upcoming matches. This weekend, and if you need more simulated NFL, NBA, UFC happening, if you're looking for something besides sports, hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, all the best props in the business, betonline.ag or use your mobile device. Join now to receive your new welcome bonus and start playing today. Bet online, your online sports book experts. Appreciate all of our sponsors. Matter of fact, Bet Online, as you're probably aware, has been with us. Uh, I'm guessing since episode one. I just hopped on around episode 240, but 
those guys have been with the program the whole time, and, and they're fantastic as well. But speaking of fantastic, let's get you to Dave O'Brien, our conversation to remind you of what baseball is here in early June. So David O'Brien, oh, David O'Brien joins us now. And, and <laughs> as I've been talking about, Dave, before I, I brought you on, let's just pretend. Let's just go into the world of make-believe here and pretend there's actually a season right now because everybody's just so uber-depressed about everything, not just no baseball, but the fact that the you know the planet is just literally losing its mind in, in so many different ways. So let's leave that one on the curb. We'll do no uh, social ramifications of the world on this podcast today. We're just going to talk about heading to the ballpark in Tampa because, in theory, that's what the Red Sox would be doing right now. You and I would be on a van from the hotel heading to that ridiculous ballpark. And I think more than anything, probably talking about how big of a stretch this schedule uh, had it actually been going, would be for the Red Sox right now. Yeah, well, great to be with you, Josh, and and certainly uh, delighted to know you're doing so well uh, in these highly unusual times. But, you know, I, I do the same thing that you do. I, I look at the schedule and I go, man, you know, where would we be today? I want to try to keep in touch in some way with the schedule and where the Sox would be playing. And you're exactly right. I mean, at this point in the second week of June, I would consider this the most probably the most vital stretch of baseball that the Red Sox will play all summer and the most interesting because three games against Tampa Bay we know how good Tampa Bay was going to be and assuming baseball returns and I I am one who believes it will I think their pitching staff is going to be absolutely deadly and then there's a great home stretch against two teams that are going to be in the playoffs for sure the Yankees at Fenway three gigantic games there's a day off, and there's two against Atlanta and that young Braves team, which is so exciting to watch. And then the Red Sox go to Chicago and then Los Angeles uh, to take on the Angels. So there's so much on the plate with, with that stretch of games. And, you know, wouldn't it be great to know right now, like, how, where would the Sox be? Would they be fighting neck and neck with Tampa and New York? Would they be six games back? Would they be battling injuries? Would they be injury-free? I mean, it's fascinating to think how important this this particular part of the season will be. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that, that the whole heading to Anaheim thing, because I had it personally circled on my calendar. I was not slated to do many games at all this year uh, for the Red Sox, but that, that Angel series, I think, is one I, I might have gotten and was really looking forward to. When when you think about what could be happening with the restart, and I'm with you, I think they're going to figure out something to do. I don't like what they're doing, but they're, they're going to do something. They'll, they'll implement something, and we'll get going here. But what are you hearing about how you're calling these games and where you're calling these games? Yeah, that's the, that's the part of it that's a, as much a mystery as anything. And, and believe me, I get it. I mean, we're way down a total pole. You know, what the announcers are going to do is way, way down there. As it should be, uh, you know, testing players and all that—that that has to be number. I think players should be tested every day, uh, uh, no question about it. I realize how expensive that's going to be, but it has to be done when they do return. But as far as the announcers are concerned, I'm hearing, you know, probably not going to travel, probably not going to be on those vans or or those charter flights that you know that, that we love to. First of all, it's easier on us, but uh, it it also gives us an opportunity opportunity to do some bonding, you know, with, with people on the staff and 
managers and coaches and that sort of thing. That's going to be out the window. And there's going to be very little contact, I, I think, at least in this comeback season, however long it is, with personnel, with guys in uniform. Because we're not going to be allowed in clubhouses. We're not going to be allowed around the batting cages. We're not going to be allowed to do the things we typically do to get nuggets and stories from players and, and staff. And that includes traveling. I, I don't think we're going to be on those trips. I really don't. I think games are going to be called from either, in our case, the studio in Watertown, uh, you know, for the radio guys, maybe in Brighton. Uh, and maybe you go to Fenway Park for a home. Maybe you go to Fenway if you can social distance properly. Um, and so that's a real, I mean, and I work with a couple of guys, as you know, and Jerry Remy and Dennis Eckersley, who aren't 40 years old. You know, they're not 30 years old. These guys have been doing this for a long time. And that puts them in a, a certain class of danger uh, for the virus. So, you know, not to talk the virus so much, but I, I think it's absolutely going to have a, a huge effect on where we do games from. Absolutely. And I'm curious because I've got my own stories on this, but how much of that have you done in your career, doing the whole plausibly live, sitting in a studio, calling it off a green screen? I remember doing that on, on old uh, uh, Dominican Winter League stuff years and years ago when, when Fox Sports decided to, to try that for like a week and a half. They put me and boy, it might have been like Ken Brett, may he rest in peace. I can't even remember who I did those games with, but... Wow. You know, maybe maybe, I don't know, seven or eight of them. And you're just sitting there, you know, watching TV and calling the game and putting your feet up. And after a while, for me anyway, I remember kind of getting used to it. What's the last time you've done something like that? Well, it's interesting to say you got used to it. And I, you, you've done more of them than I have. But I did a basketball game for ESPN about five or six years ago where I did one of those. And oddly enough, it was a Duke game. It wasn't a, a high leverage game. It wasn't an ACC game. It was one of those preseason, you know, cupcake games. But I, I didn't like it at all. And, you know, I think you know, we, we came up the, through the pipeline very similarly, you and I. I you know, we're event guys. We want to be at stadiums. We want to be in arenas. It gets us going. It's where we're supposed to be. We're live reporter guys. That's what we are. You know, when I was a student at Syracuse, they told us, hey, you want to be a play-by-play -play guy? Learn to be a good reporter first, because that's what a good play-by-play -play man is. You're a reporter. I mean, if somebody wakes you up at midnight and says, you've got to go report on a, a five-alarm fire in downtown Boston, you've got to hit the ground running, get the information, get it on the air. That's essentially what play-by-play -play people do. I mean, we're calling it as we see it in real time. And so I, I think that's the part of it that I would miss tremendously. I've, I've done a little bit of it. I didn't enjoy it that much. I think we can we can find ways to make it feel more like a real, like we're actually at the game. I, I think I would actually be a proponent of piping in crowd noise. I don't know about yeah. you, but oh, I, I like that. I kind of need that, like sort of a foundation underneath. It's like because if it's not there, you don't even feel like you're in touch with the game. So. There are things that we can do uh, to make it feel and, and sound like, or, like you're actually there. It's funny that you mentioned that. And I really didn't mean this podcast to be about you and not me. But I'm going to tell another me story right now because I don't think I've ever told you this one. When I was 21, 22, I mean, way too young to be considered for a major league job. I, I sent in a tape to the then California Angels and they bought it hook, lock, hook, absolutely hook, line, and sinker that I was not 21 or 22. I mean, just like Bob, I read about Bob Costas messing with the, the base of his right. 
the old <laughs> right. I did the yeah. same thing. I like tricked up my demo tape to make it sound like I was older. And, you know, I'll blah, blah, blah through a lot of this. But they, they flew me out to Anaheim from where I was doing minor league hockey in Richmond, Virginia, to interview to be the new radio voice of the Angels. And, you know, I got off the plane. They took one look at me. It was never going to happen. <laughs> they still took me to the stadium, put me in a makeshift little studio and said, OK, you know, we're putting on an inning from uh, a game from this year. Go ahead. So. That didn't really freak me out that much. What freaked me out is exactly what you said, is that without that uh, that background, that baseline of the crowd noise, you don't feel like yourself. And, and the feedback I got after I flunked the audition is, well, you talked too much. And I remember thinking, well, I kept talking because I was so uncomfortable with just the hum of the fluorescent lights. I mean, that's all there was, right? right. So it, yeah. it's a very, very odd feeling. And I wonder if we'd get used to that. I don't I don't know if we, I'd ever want to get used to it, but I kind of, there's a great line from the Keith Richards book, if, if you've read it, where he talks about Charlie Watts and he talks about the Stones drummer. He, he goes, he is the bed that I lie on, you know? And it's a great compliment for a drummer. And you're a musician, you know what that means. For a guitarist, uh, and I think that that for us, it's it's the bed that we lie on is is the sound of the crowd. You know, it's Scully said it all the time. He said the most wonderful sound in your headphones is the roar of the crowd, the thrill of the crowd, and I think we're all going to miss that very very much, particularly on radio. You know, you you're calling radio game. You you require that. It's even more so. Like if I'm working a TV game. You know, with that and Jerry Remy, you know, we, we can fill a lot of sp it's three of us, you know, but on radio, it's just you most of the time. And you have and you not only do you have to have that, you want to have that lovely sound as your as your backdrop, you know, as your as your soundtrack. So, again, just trying to frame our discussion in the in the present best we can in the now. Let me peel off just a little bit and, and ask you what you've been doing, what you and the family have been doing for these last three months, trying to, to stay sane and not kill each other. Because as much as we all love our families, we're not used to, as baseball announcers, seeing our families this much. So how's that been going? Uh, it has its days. Uh, <laughs> it has its moments. I mean, but two of my kids have been home at various times. Uh, one of my daughter here, who lives in San Francisco. She's home for several weeks at the moment. My son just left to return to uh, law school. I've talked to you about my son, Mike, and um, you know the, the, my, my boy who served in Afghanistan and the 82nd Airborne, and now he's at law school at Georgia. And he just returned literally yesterday. He went back on. But I'll tell you, as tough as it is, and it's basically you're on a first man, a first name basis with the man at Home Depot, because yeah. you know, every time you walk through the door, he knows you, have, you, you must have another project. No, and every, everybody is doing. I imagine you are too. You're fixing stuff up. Yeah. You probably have no business fixing up. Yeah, yeah. So that's the way it goes. But I mean, I'm, I'm about done with those projects. But we did, we did one really cool thing. Uh, when COVID hit and they canceled live classes, my son was driving from Athens, Georgia, and you know the football stops well. It's one of the great football places in the country. But he was driving up the East Coast back up to New Hampshire, where I live. And the midway point is really Baltimore. So I said, look, I don't want you driving all that way. Uh, why don't we find a hotel that's open, prove to be the four seasons in Baltimore, where we've stayed, you know, and we've done Orioles. 
Um, it's almost exactly halfway up the coast. And uh, let's let's pop over to Gettysburg. I will meet you in Baltimore. We'll drive over and we'll see Gettysburg. The national parks have remained open. And there's obviously not a lot of people there. It, the crowds are way down. They don't have bathrooms open, but everything else is open. And you can drive through those battlefields and you can stop and walk around, put a mask on if you encounter any people. But it's wonderful. And we did that for an entire day, just the two of us. There's practically no one there. It was uh, it was an amazing experience. He had never done it. And as a soldier, it really resonated with him in particular. So, so we did that. And that was that was many weeks ago. But um, I'm so glad we were able to do it. It's the kind of thing we never would have been able to do otherwise. So in, in some ways, you know, there have been benefits. Yeah, for sure. Now, the, the other thing I got to ask you, because you and I have not seen each other. Uh, wow. I, I don't think we've actually seen each other live and in person, frankly, since September. And I really, uh, really do miss you, Josh. I just well, want to. Well, I, I pine for you. I yearn for you. But uh, <laughs> beyond that, <laughs> I uh, I think that uh, we had, we we've obviously talked on the phone and stuff about our respective schedules. But uh, going back to college basketball season, uh, I I kind of think I was assuming that I'd bump into you at some point and never did. So take me back. Were you were you in the middle of calling ACC stuff? What what was happening with college basketball when all this came down? Yeah, that was that was interesting because it was at that point, and I know you encountered it. Anybody doing sports encountered it at the time. If you were doing basketball, um, the the news came in and the information came in at warp speed and changed every three minutes. I had just finished my run of games at the ACC tournament in Greensboro, North Carolina. I had done, I think, four games on ESPN and the ACC Network. So mine, mine were done. I was at dinner the night I did day games that night with Jay Billis, Dan Schulman, Allison Williams, a number of ESPN colleagues. And Jay was talking with people at the commissioner's office and people at the NCAA. And like on a, on a minute by minute basis, the information was changing. So it went from yeah, we're going to play, but there aren't going to be any fans in the stands. You know, the ACC tournament continuing to the final. To note, we're canceling the whole thing. And then the NCAA tournament is likely to be canceled, too. All of that happened at that dinner, you know, wow. over a span of like two and a half hours. So it was incredible how quickly uh, this information came in and, and, and really tough decisions. And I think the right decisions were made by those people. So how did you like the ACC network? I mean, I know it, it was a lot of back and forth, a lot of ping pong geographically for you in September. So, and I'm assuming it was well worth it. But give me a little bit of a snapshot. Give the fans a snapshot into that dive that you did. Because that's, it's, I mean, it's very good football and it's great basketball. Yeah, I mean, at truth, truth be told, I thought the ACC was down in a big way in, uh, in hoops. Normally, it's arguably the best league. It's going to be right there with the Big Ten uh, on, a, on a yearly basis. This year, the league was down. I mean, it, it didn't have a lot. And, and mainly because North Carolina had an absolutely dreadful season. I mean, Roy Williams' team was just not what he typically puts on the court. They're going to be great uh, in the coming season. This year, they had just one of those hiccups where they were, you know, they lost a ton of games, lost a lot of close games. They played poorly. So that that put a dent in the league. Football was great. I mean, we had Clemson on our network, on the ACC network, 
three times, including the kickoff game for the network. And, you know, when you have those, those fans are amazing and the way they support their program at Clemson's incredible. Uh, I don't know if you've been there or not, but I mean, it's, it's one of those spots where you're like, yeah, that's, that's one for the list. It really right. is. Um, it, particularly if you like orange, you know, it's just as far as the eye can see. And it, it was wonderful to get back in it for me personally, but I thought the league, the league had some great games. You know, we had one game that was like 62 to 56, you know, just a ridiculous high scoring game. And, but uh, clearly Clemson is head and shoulders above everybody else. And the rest of that league has to close that gap. Uh, and has to work to do that. And, you know, this year isn't a fair judge, but they've got to get after those guys because Clemson's really pulled away with Dabo Sweeney so far up front. So let me ask you this. So the people that you worked with, your new on-air partners, I know you had known some of them a little bit before, but give me a, a sense. You can't do this off the top of your head. I'm not going to say, here. you know, who are the top 10 color commentators you've ever worked with in your life? But organically off the top of your head let's spitball here because i'm thinking between your baseball your football your basketball your soccer you have crossed paths with so many great voices and minds so if if i had to make you do this uh who are some of the people that you would say you just are so thrilled you've shared a, a microphone with well i mean the two guys i'm working with now and you know them very well uh dennis eckersley and jerry remy i think are at the very top of the list i think they're as good as it gets they're perfect for the market you know boston's a, di a different market than most uh and especially if you played for the club you're in a very very good place assuming you can communicate and do it with personality and do it with tremendous insight those guys are right at the top of the list i worked for years with rick sutcliffe uh, on ESPN, who's uh, one of my greatest friends, and I just absolutely adore Sut. I think he's a he's a he's one of those guys that you know if there's a high and tight pitch in the first inning, he'll go, "Yep, I knew that was coming, and there'll be more of that tonight." Believe me, and you're like, "What? I mean, uh, how do you know that?" You know, right, right, and, right. and you you and I both work with guys who are like that. They're so tuned in, and they talk to a couple people before the game, and they said, "Yep, this goes back to August." You know. This goes back to that series in St. Louis, so here it comes again. And he was always right on that. Uh, on a local level, I got to work with, I don't know if you ever did, with Tommy Hutton, uh, who Hutton, did the Marlins for many, many years. It was on ESPN. Uh, T-Hut was a terrific, and he still is, but he was terrific. Uh, just another one of those guys who's made for everyday baseball. And I think there are analysts who are great on the national stage, not so good doing baseball every day and, and vice versa. Well, Tommy could do both. And he was perfect for that market and explaining baseball and doing it patiently and, you know, never condescendingly just because he played the game, you know, I, and I loved working with Tommy. Well, I, you know, that's a great point. I had the same experience with Tom Grieve, who's a proud Pittsfield Mass guy, Western Massachusetts. I worked with him for yep. 10 years doing the Texas Rangers games. And I, I think you said that exactly right. There are some people who are just such a familiar, comfortable listen, and you want that if it's a day-in, day-out sport like baseball. Uh, I'm really curious because you and I, it's funny, you know, my passion for soccer is fairly newly minted. You were so invested in soccer for, for such a long time, and, and I might be wrong. You may still have, like, an incredible deep passion for it. It just doesn't come to the surface much, but I almost feel like my passion for soccer is now yours because you were on such a big stage doing it was then. 
but you got to work with some really outstanding soccer people too. Yeah, I really did. And, and you know, one of the guys that uh, I, Julie Foudy and I became uh, buddies, and I, I thought she was phenomenal uh, calling soccer matches uh, back at the time that I did it, which was actually a pretty tight window. It was only like a year and a half, two years, uh, and a World Cup and all of that. W- one guy that I worked with that I thought was incredibly talented on a on a, a the basis of Hey, the camera comes on and he lights up like a Christmas tree. It was Eric Winalda, who was a marvelous player, you know, professionally played in Germany, played for the U.S. national teams. I thought he was just tremendously gifted. And I've worked with people who, who just had a natural ability. Uh, it wasn't a trained ability. They could just they were great on camera. You know, the, the camera when when the camera was on. They came alive, and I thought Eric was a was a, and is a great communicator, and a guy on the soccer side that I got to cover, who is now taken off like a rocket ship covering soccer, is Taylor Twelman. Uh, Taylor's terrific on the air, really opinionated, incredibly knowledgeable, uh, and played the game, played at a very high level, played at MLS, and and played on on a few of the U.S. national teams and exhibitions and stuff, and. I think he's a he's the next star to watch when you're talking about soccer coverage in the U.S. One of, one of the things that I like is that what's happening is more American voices are getting a chance to call the game. You know, that Fox did a really good job in integrating some young, up-and-coming, true soccer guys. You know, I wasn't a true soccer guy. I did a lot of different sports, and and you know, so did a lot of other guys back at that time. That's not true anymore. You've got guys specializing in calling the game, living it, breathing it. And, and those guys should be doing the games. And I, and I like the idea that we're using United States guys, particularly to call U.S. matches. I think that's uh, th- that has a great sound to it for a lot of U.S. soccer fans. You'll, you'll get a lot of blowback from, you know, British soccer fans and, and South American soccer fans and Italian soccer fans about that. But I don't think that's correct. I think that the next thing is to is to see United States kids call U.S. soccer. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it's funny because Fox, my old employer, you know, threw Gus Johnson out there to the wolves. And, and that was not the answer. But the, the theory, I think you're absolutely correct that an American voice probably makes it sound like it could be an American game. So, hey, Dave, before I let you go, and, and this is funny because people are going to listen to the podcast, I don't know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday this week or, you know, weeks or months from now and go, ha ha, that's such old information. But as you and I have been talking uh, there's a, an offer, I guess, a little counter offer from Major League Baseball to the players, which is a, kind of insulting. I mean, I'm, I'm going to spare everybody the details because by the time people listen to this, it'll all have been figured out and over. But it sure is looking more and more like the players are leaning more towards just saying, you know what, the hell with it, a 48 game schedule, whatever, with full pro rata instead of some other further cut sliding scale nonsense. Let's just go. Uh, so my question to you is if that's what it ends up being, if it's a 48 game quote unquote season, uh, where does that leave your baseball soul? I mean, do we put this season way off in parentheses? Do we asterisk the hell out of it? Do we pretend it never happened or do we embrace it? Like, wow, you know, we always talk about baseball as a marathon. This is the one year it's just going to be a damn sprint. So let's go and see what happens. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a, Fair question, and I I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, Josh. I'm like, 
58 games, 50 games. I think anything south of half a season isn't that legitimate. So, you know, we, we get to, you know, the 40 or 50 game mark in baseball. We're just figuring out what our team is, right? And are we, are we good enough to compete? What moves have to be made by the general manager to get better? Uh, or, you know, how to improve? What, what trade you make at the deadline? What series of moves to be made? That's when you're just barely figuring out who you are. You know, remembering that the the Washington Nationals, I think, began their season what nineteen and thirty one right. last year. Yeah, Something they like been that. Out. And they went, the, the Marlins would have been in, and the Nationals would have been out fifty. Yeah, years. yeah. And how legitimate is that? Uh, so I, that part bothers me. I mean, the shortness of the season. You know, there's some kind of fun about the sprint, and then more teams are allowed to make the playoffs. I do, I do like that idea. In fact, I think it's imperative that a lot more teams have to make the playoffs if, if we're going to do that because the best teams have to shake out in some way, and it's not going to be the regular season. So, I, But I don't know. And I do believe that if it's that short, yes, it'll have an asterisk next to it. There's no question about it. It's not going to be one of those seasons to remember. It's going to be a blink of an eye, and it's over. Well, we all thought it would be obviously a lot different anyway, but then we were all kind of girding our loins for, okay, you know, 4th of July, that sounds good. Now we're just hoping by Dave O'Brien's birthday in early August we're, we're <laughs> some baseball yeah. here. Uh, and, and I'll leave you with this one, buddy. It's funny. I don't know if you remember that there was like a one-day ripple where the, the last spring training games were being played and people were aghast that, that Angel Hernandez came off the field and apparently said, well, see you in June. And on March 14th, we all were like shocked, like that guy, what an a-hole. Why would he say something like that? And now it turns out that, that Angel was not only right, I mean, he, he actually shorted it because there's no way this thing starts before. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's so bizarre to, to think at that time, most of us were, you know, this will blow through. This yeah, will be like a bad out, flu right? or something. But boy, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, it's it's been an incredible thing to live through, and unfortunately, there are plenty of people who did not, and and you know your heart breaks for for them and their families. And I just believe that I believe baseball will return this season, and and maybe that's more hope than anything else, Josh. You know, but I do have friends at the MLB offices who tell me they are determined to play baseball. That whatever length of schedule, they're absolutely determined to play the games and the commissioner's office does have the right to call that shot. And so that may be exactly what happens. I think whatever the length is, whatever happens, it's going to be good for the nation's soul. And I don't know if it'll be great for the next collective bargaining agreement, but it is going to be good for America as will be the NBA and NHL and the NFL and college football, as long as it can be done safely for the athletes. Um, and I know that's a million-dollar question, but if it can be, I, we need sports back. 100%. And, Obi, I mean, we, we need to hear your voice again is what it comes down to. So at least we have a, a few thousand people that were able to do that on a podcast today. We appreciate that very much. Stay safe. Live free or die up there in New Hampshire. <laughs> references for the first one, not the second one. And um, we will uh, hopefully cross paths literally in person at some point soon. But until then, buddy, please stay in touch and please stay safe and give my best to your family. And and uh, we'll be talking some baseball soon. I really believe that, too. Well, right, right back at you, Josh. Great chatting with you, my friend. And I will see you soon.
I sure hope so. Thanks, buddy. That's Dave O'Brien. This has been Red Sox Beat.